Welcome to the Sexual Mindfulness Project podcast, where we talk about creating an intentional relationship and how to find joy in slowing down, letting go of judgment, and connecting more deeply with your partner. I'm Dr. Shalom Levitt, and today I'm here with Amber Price, Rebecca Clark, and Jenna Lawler. Have you ever noticed that when women get together, often we talk about this common experience that we've had of pregnancy? And women can go on for quite some time talking about their experience during pregnancy and then during delivery. And do you guys have thoughts on why that might be? Why is it that when we get together, that is something that we need to share with each other? It's such a life-changing experience, you know? I mean, there's nothing quite like it. It's like the one time where you just feel like you're almost touching heaven, especially in the delivery part. And it's just such a powerful, special experience. And I think women just enjoy sharing that with each other. I think that's a great question. I've actually never thought about that. It just seems so, like Amber was saying, kind of life-altering, life-changing, I think. And for the positive, like I always thought of pain during pregnancy as at least this is productive pain, you know, this is going to produce something beautiful. And so that's a pretty singular experience. And you almost feel there are moments in pregnancy, I think, or I almost felt superhuman. Like I couldn't believe that I was doing what I was doing. It didn't even seem real to me until I had the baby. Then it got real. <laughs> but let me back up and say, I said it's close to heaven. I was specifically meaning the delivery. <laughs> I want to say I did not enjoy pregnancy. <laughs> and the end of so the much. delivery. <laughs> the throwing up thing, not close to heaven. <laughs> yeah. But you know, there's something in sharing the difficulties too, you know, that brings you together as women too, I think. Yeah, I think it's important to just acknowledge, especially in this discussion, that it is life-changing because it physically changes you. I mean, your body is different at post-pregnancy. And sometimes I think that we look at that as a real negative, even during pregnancy, our body changes an awful lot. In fact, a really dramatic change because we're growing this child inside of us. Um, And it's bound to have uh, an impact on our sex lives. Um, We know that hormones change physically, you know, your hips are spreading, your belly is growing, uh, your breasts are tender, but your brain is changing too. You are actually going through this change, especially the first time, to transition into becoming a mom. And uh, your husband is transitioning at, you know, not as rapidly a pace, but in some ways to become a dad. And so this transition to parenthood, um, that we get this small period during pregnancy to make some of those changes. And then like you both mentioned It's kind of this explosion of changes once that baby actually enters your life and you're taking care of them. So let's talk about what some of those physical changes are. We know that there's a number of different hormones that increase during pregnancy. And so those are bound to cause a lot of changes in how we feel about things and actually how we experience pregnancy. We know that progesterone increases 10 times during pregnancy than the level it was at at conception. And estrogen, we have a huge increase. One day of pregnancy, we produce enough estrogen in what's produced in three years of not being pregnant. And we also, you know, like Amber mentioned at the end, 
and, and even a few times maybe during pregnancy when we have some fear about the baby, we have this increase in adrenaline that can really make us sensitive to a number of our own fears. But at the end of pregnancy, we have this spike in adrenaline so that we can actually deliver a baby. And then after pregnancy, we have increases in oxytocin and prolactin and testosterone. So you can imagine that all of these changes in these hormonal levels are really going to impact our emotions and our physical experience of pregnancy. Well, and I think that it's interesting that our husbands change a little bit too. And I mean, there's even evidence that they experience, at least once you've delivered the baby, that they have an increase in oxytocin in their hormone of the bonding, the caring hormone, which is what women have usually higher than men typically, but, but a new dad will have really high oxytocin levels. And although we haven't really seen any research on hormone levels in men during pregnancy, I know that having an empathetic husband is really nice during pregnancy. So let's jump in and talk about what sex looks like during pregnancy. I mean, we have all these increases in hormones and changes to our body. How is that going to impact our relationship with our spouse? I think pregnancy is a great time to communicate, communicate, communicate about how you're feeling because you know, even your, your first pregnancy, especially, but every pregnancy is different, or at least that was my experience. And, and I think what a great time to communicate um, with each other about, I mean, hormones change so rapidly during pregnancy too. And from trimester to trimester, there can be a really different shift in how you're feeling about sex and how sex feels. And I think it's just important to keep talking and communicating with each other about this is how, you know, I'm feeling today and it might be totally different tomorrow. So I think it's a, a great time to communicate about sex. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, just listening to Shalom list off all of those changes that happened to your body. I kind of took me back. My youngest is nine. It's been a while since I was pregnant. I kind of have forgotten some of that. And, and just listening to all that, like, oh, that's a lot to deal with. And maybe just giving yourself some grace and recognizing Things are all over the place, emotionally, hormonally, physically. It's going to be different and that's okay. And to just kind of be patient with the process, both people in the couple, recognizing that it's going to take some patience and working together and grace for both of you. Yeah. And because of all of those changes, and like you both have mentioned, they're changing day to day, week to week, quite dramatically. We're going to have different sexual desires. Um, it's interesting, you know, from research, we know that a lot of women experience heightened nausea that first trimester. And so sex is kind of the last thing on their mind. So their sexual desire just plummets. But, you know, their husband still has needs. So that's the time to, like Rebecca was just saying, communicate, find ways that you can still stay close emotionally and physically and meet each other's needs, despite this you know, really erratic roller coaster of emotions and physical change you might be on. However, some women have heightened sexual desire even during that first trimester. And so they feel like this increase in hormones actually makes them desire sex more frequently, which I have never seen any research that husbands were disappointed by that. <laughs> um, but we know that again, you know, you might have to communicate I really have more desire for more frequent sex. 
And then that might change the second or third trimester. But again, understanding that there's a reason for these changes is often really helpful for couples. Well, and this is somewhat related. Just, I was thinking, you know, as you were talking about the morning sickness, I think recognizing that it doesn't last forever too. Most women, that's only going to last probably through your first trimester. Some it lasts through the pregnancy, but even still, that's not a long-term, this, you're not stuck with this forever. So be flexible and just know that it's not going to last forever. Yeah, that's great advice. I think it's also important to maybe put some first-time parents, put their mind at rest that having sex while you're pregnant is 100% safe unless your doctor has said there's some condition that you're experiencing in the pregnancy that makes it unsafe. And so it's really important to give attention to that relationship still, even with all these changes. Make sure that you're setting time aside, even if it's just to snuggle or to just touch each other or arouse each other in a different way than penetrative sex. And so we really have to understand that sex shouldn't be ignored just because you're pregnant. And maybe even you could say intimacy too, you know, what better time to share intimacy than when you're pregnant, you know, you've got exciting things, maybe scary things, emotional things to talk about and to share together. And that can bring you together also. I think that's true. I think even the heightened sense of hormones can work to your benefit in that way, where you've got more oxytocin kind of flooding your body. And it's like that ability to bond is actually increased, physically increased. And so having intimacy or whatever it needs to look like that day or that week for you and your pregnancy, like Shalom said, just keeping that kind of lifeline, having that be sort of a lifeline of, you know, that's why you're pregnant in the first place. And so keeping that sort of togetherness at the front of your mind is really wise. Yeah, I think pregnancy is kind of this beautiful culmination of your sexual relationship. Like you, you are seeing the actual fruits of sex. And so it's kind of this beautiful time to share that with each other and ponder and consider this beautiful process of life. And that the two of you, because of your love and your relationship, have just created this new being because of your relationship, that all children are the product of a relationship. And so that's something I think that really adds this depth and meaning to your sexual experience. And it's something that even after you're pregnant, you can reflect back on that and think of this beautiful thing that the two of you did by creating this child and then going through the process of carrying this child inside you and then delivering. So after you deliver, our bodies have changed quite a lot. It's interesting, you know, to look at diagrams of, you know, this pre-pregnancy woman who has pretty tight abdominal muscles and then how those abdominal muscles are absolutely stretched to their capacity to carry this child full term. And then those same abdominal muscles help push that baby out. And when that child's born, you know, there's so much joy, but there's an awful lot of physical recovery that still needs to take place. And so sometimes I think that's the part that surprises women so much. They're so excited for this baby and, you know, becoming a parent. And then they look at themselves two weeks afterward and they've got a little saggy abdomen and their breasts are bigger than they have ever been. And they still feel uncomfortable and there's extra weight on still. 
and they get discouraged. And everything's leaking. <laughs> Just want to throw that in there. <laughs> everything's leaking, still, including your eyes on a daily basis. <laughs> Lots of tears and emotion. Yeah, so what sorts of counsel would you give to women like two weeks out? Because I think that two weeks is kind of, <laughs> interestingly enough, the threshold that most new moms give themselves to be right back into their teenage shape or their pre-pregnancy shape. I was just thinking, I've got two sisters-in-law who have just had babies within the last month or two. And especially one, I was up there visiting her. Um, I think the baby was about 10 days old and just watching her care for him. You know, I've done this too, but you, you just kind of forget. But um, she looked exhausted. You know, she's physically been through a lot. Giving birth takes a lot out of you and she's recovering. And then, you know, the baby wants to eat every two hours and it takes, you know, however long to feed the baby. And then you've got to burp the baby and change the diaper and do all of these things. And I just was watching her and like, she's exhausted. She's loving it. She really was loving the baby and things, but she was exhausted. And since then, she's talked to me about, you know, she's on the baby's like seven weeks now, but, um, and just said what a hard time that was. And it is. And I just think, don't forget to take care of yourself during all of this, because that really matters. And let your husband take care of you because he probably wants to, maybe doesn't know how always. But I just, I think women can get in the mindset of always being the take care of other people. And especially when they've got a new baby. And it, this is a time to let yourself be taken care of a little bit too, as you're taking care of that new baby. I think that's really wise advice. And I think if people are offering to bring meals, I mean, or anything like people outside of the family offering to help, even offering to hold the baby. I know we're in weird times with COVID right now, but during more normal times, just allowing people to help and saying no to stuff. I remember being asked to host a party at about two weeks after one of my babies and thinking, well, I should be fine. And I did it. And it, you know, I mean, there were tears for like the next 12 hours after everyone was gone and I'm trying to clean up. And I just think, give yourself a lot of time. Two weeks is not enough. Six weeks is not enough. I think 18 months, maybe, maybe aim for 18 months. I mean, everybody's different, but just really be generous. Like, like Amber's saying, I've forgotten too, but when I see these new moms, I just think, oh, go easy on yourself. If I could say one thing, it's just go easy, take it easy. All that baby wants is to just be held close to you or somebody. And so if it's not you, that's fine. But just take it easy and let everything else kind of take a backseat for a while. It'll work out great. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I think it's interesting to look back in history and see how birth used to be handled. Um, really up until like the 1950s, 60s, 70s, a whole group of women came in and kind of took over the household for the new mom and, and just let her recover for quite some time. I mean, it wasn't just two weeks or six weeks. It was a long time. And not only did that help take the physical burden off the mom, but I think it also provided this emotional support that women need as they transition to this heavy responsibility of being a mom and letting yourself adjust emotionally and mentally to that change. I've stayed pretty quiet during this because I haven't experienced this. I'm not a mother and I'm pretty newly married. And so I'm just enjoying hearing all of your experiences. And I think that this is going to benefit other women who are preparing to have kids. Even before you have kids, this is really useful information to have. 
And I have a question. You know, we're talking about recovery after you have a child, after you give birth. And how does that influence your relationship with your spouse? You know, how do you balance that newly formed bond that you have with a baby? And then as you're talking about recovery time, how do you spend that time with your husband and keep that relationship going when you're so exhausted? I mean, I'm the youngest in my family, so I have, I hope I have the right number, 14 nieces and nephews. So I've seen all my sisters go through pregnancy many times. And it, it really looks exhausting. I can't even imagine just the physical burden and, and then trying to adjust and have that, have that relationship with your spouse and bond with them as well. So how do you go about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think we can do a number of things. First of all, like Rebecca said earlier on, just communicate. And most likely, he's going to be pretty tired too. If he's pitching in and helping, which I think most husbands do. It's interesting. I did some research a few years ago on couples transitioning into parenthood and how that impacted their sexual relationship. And what we found was that even though both parents, both moms and dads reported the same level of stress, that same level of stress impacted women differently than men. And part of that, I think, is that motherhood is kind of tied up in women's identity. A little more than fatherhood is tied up in men's identity. And so women felt a lot more pressure to kind of hit the mark and be the perfect mom and get her body back and all of those things. So what we saw that, that even though moms and dads both had the same level of stress as they transitioned to parenthood, Mom's stress impacted her sexual desire and her sexual satisfaction because, you know, she is physically exhausted, but she's also feeling the same level of stress that her partner is. So if you can talk about that, and if men can be aware of that, they can do an awful lot of carrying the burden and reassuring her that it may take a year to get your body back in shape like it was before. And maybe it doesn't matter that you're carrying a little extra weight now as you nurse and as you, you know, recover from this process, that men can be really reassuring and helpful to women more than just in taking care of the baby, but actually helping her reestablish her identity in a healthy way. And I would add to that, that allowing your spouse, allowing your husband to transition to becoming a father. Like, I think there, in fact, research used to say this. I think uh, we've gotten better with time, but talking about maternal gatekeeping, because the, if you're nursing or whatever, your husband can't nurse. So you just sit over there and I'll do this. And just allowing your husband to do as much as he can and is willing to do, but not standing in the way of that I think sometimes I've had little moments in my life where I've thought, well, I know what's best for the child. And whether that's true or not, I think, well, my husband has his equally valid, you know, knowing of what's best for our child. And so I think allowing your spouse to step into that role of fatherhood and not standing in the way of that, I think is pretty crucial. Trying to let style points let those go. You know, I remember how we, one little memory from early baby time in our house was the way that my husband would wrap the babies in the blanket. And it would just kind of drive me batty. I thought that's not the right way, you know? 
And I realized this is just a different way of literally swaddling the baby. That was sort of a marker to me to think, you know what? Certain things just need to be let go, let him do and kind of grow into his fatherhood, just like I'm growing into my motherhood. And I think I'd go back also to what we kind of talked about earlier and just recognizing that this isn't forever. You know, you may feel physically and emotionally exhausted and things for a little bit, but it's not for, well, I have teenagers now and I'm still sometimes exhausted, but (laughs) this particular thing is not forever. You know, I'm just thinking, I think the doctors usually say not to have intercourse six weeks postpartum. That might sound like a lot, especially to a husband. Um, It's not in the grand scheme of things and you will get through it. And again, using just having that grace for each other, finding ways to connect in simple, small ways, maybe as you're kind of navigating this time. And it's going to come up again in your life. There's going to be other times that are tricky and hard and it's just part of the process and that's okay. And just kind of being patient. There's a new piece of research that I think is a really gentle message piece of research. And it followed some parents through this transition to parenthood and looked at how often they were having sex before they delivered the baby and then how often they had sex after. And then it also compared them to a group of couples who didn't have a child. And as you might expect, the couples who transitioned to parenthood had less frequent sex for the first, I think, year is what they actually measured. But what they found was that couples who had a good relationship actually had sex even less frequently than couples who had a troubled relationship and transitioned to parenthood. And they had sex a little more frequently. And the reasoning that they gave for this was that You know, just under evolutionary theory, both parents are trying to focus all their attention on this new baby and and making sure that this baby has the best chance for survival. And so that doesn't mean having a lot of sex. If your relationship is good, you're going to get through that transition just fine, you know, without a high frequency of sex. Um, you're going to be able to rely on the kindness and, you know, the quality of relationship that you have and instead focus on this baby. And it's interesting because women, we know, especially if they're nursing, if they're bottle feeding, this is a little different, but every time a mother is nursing and her milk lets down, we know there's a little increase of oxytocin. And again, we can explain that with evolutionary theory that the mother is bonding every time she holds that little baby in her arms. She's in close proximity to him or her and her milk lets down and increases this oxytocin and helps her bond even stronger to that child. You know, she would be willing to sacrifice everything in her life for the well-being of that child. That is so beautiful. However, it has a consequence, right? Women are getting a lot of this heightened oxytocin. So they're feeling that satiation from that increase of oxytocin. And so we know their sexual desire decreases. However, men are not experiencing that. And so again, the couple probably needs to talk about that, realize that both people's needs need to be met. And how can we do this in a creative way that helps us both feel like we're connected and working on intimacy. 
I feel like that's a really good time to use mindfulness, especially when, you know, I'm imagining like that period when a mother is, you know, bonding with her child and trying to maintain a close relationship with her husband. Like that's a time, even if you can't have intercourse for the first six weeks after giving birth, I imagine that you can still be close by, you know, really being in the moment when you have that time with your husband when you have time to sit down and just look at each other in the eyes and spend some time, even if it's just a few moments, just being with each other. And I feel like that might be able to keep that relationship close until, until you can start, you know, bonding in other ways again. Yeah. And let's not forget that just because you can't have penetrative sex, there's lots of other things that you can do that help satisfy each other's needs and kind of emphasize physical intimacy as well as the emotional intimacy. You know, snuggling is so important at this time and really talking about feelings, giving that space for both, you know, the man and the woman to really talk about the changes that have just occurred in your life, but holding each other and making sure that physical needs are still, you know, tended to and that we don't ignore that part of our relationship. And I think that could be true. Everything you just said, Shalom, I think can fit for the whole pregnancy, probably not just the postpartum. Absolutely. Yeah. There's going to be times even in pregnancy where intercourse isn't as easy to accommodate, especially in that third trimester where you've got this big belly in between the two of you. And so it makes things much more difficult just logistically. And uh, so, yeah, you're going to have to be creative and And be vulnerable with each other and say, yeah, I really feel like I want to have that physical closeness with you, but it can't happen in this traditional way that maybe we've relied on. You know, I just thought of something too, in terms of adjusting to to everything new. I was looking at some research yesterday about life stress. And when we have these stressors, what does it do to the family? And it can kind of go, of course, different ways, depending on what the resources of the family are and things like that. And I was thinking, um, one of the interesting things that I think really applies to this is that when there's a normal change, but that is substantive, like a birth is, that would be a, a transformative change to a family system. When the family members can work through that change successfully and find a new balancing kind of point, that enables them to then further take care of other changes in the future, which are inevitable, other sources of stressors, you know, stresses in the future, but that you actually get better at that as a couple. It's not something that you need to kind of think, oh, we just got to buckle down and get through this and this is going to be just terrible or whatever. But if you, you think if we can be imaginative, communicative, adaptive and flexible and do our very best at this, you know what, then the next stressor, we're going to be able to handle even better. We're going to build our ability to adapt and to be resilient. And so I think it's a really neat time to kind of think, okay, it is going to be stressful. What resources do we have that we can bring together as a couple, as a family? What resources can we rely on in the community? What kind of extended family resources do we have? What are our kind of interpersonal resources with each other? What, what are we great at as a couple? And just really talk it through and, and try to rely on those resources. And it can, I mean, it can bring you closer together and make you a stronger couple. Yeah, I like that, you know, just positive assessment of what uh, we have to bring to this relationship. 
Okay, well, let's end on one last topic. And I, I think we touched on it really briefly earlier, but what about body image? Body image is so fragile after you've had a child. And so what are some strategies? How can we help women kind of rethink this critical attitude that so often we have and uh, maybe reassess? One quick thing, I think it's so interesting to look at standards of beauty throughout the ages and how those change. And I think we're in this time where we have such a narrow notion and really such a, a sort of anti-maternal notion of what beauty is. And yet you look back throughout history and you, and you look at, you know, motherhood and the capacity, you know, hips and curves, the capacity to bear a child even some weight, uh, you know, on your frame was seen as beautiful because it was what allowed women to give birth. And so I think I got kind of mother earthy with my body after having kids and I had to, I just, it never looked the same. And I had to let that go and think, literally consciously tell myself, think of what your body has done. And it's such an incredible thing. I mean, I can still barely wrap my mind around the fact that these four people in my home came from me. You know, I think that is amazing. And of course my body is going to look different after that. And if I can look at that as sort of a, a mark of divinity or beauty or transforming me into who a better version of myself, I have to get kind of analytical about it and talk myself into it. But I think it's worth the effort to do so because I think holding myself to the standard of teenage me, I'd be miserable. I'd be miserable forever. So that's kind of something I do. Honestly, Rebecca just summed everything up pretty perfectly. There's not a lot to add to that, but I was, I was just thinking it, it's not just postpartum, it's during the pregnancy too. I think a lot of women struggle. And I just remember with myself, I have four kids and with the first three, I didn't necessarily feel like I looked great when I was pregnant. Basically, I felt like I was draped in a tent, my shirts and whatever, you know, and I remember when I got pregnant with the fourth, I just told myself right out of the gates, like, I'm going to give myself permission to think I look cute. Because you know what, when I see any other pregnant woman on the street, I think, oh, look at, she's so cute. Look at that cute belly. I just had to mentally give myself that permission. And then I did. And it felt a lot better to just accept my body as it was. And I definitely think it's worth noting that I don't think husbands are looking at your body and thinking, oh, she's putting on some weight. I think most husbands are rather enjoying the changes and the process and seeing beauty in it also. But frankly, husbands are a lot less critical of women's bodies than women are. So we could go into a lot of depth on body image and sex, and probably that could be a whole episode. But I think just acknowledging that, yeah, your body is going to change. And like Rebecca said, there's a lot of beauty and things in that. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I think that one of the most important things that you guys described was this internal questioning of our social messages, that we've gotten these messages that somehow we need to bounce back either within some short time frame or at all, that our body hasn't been permanently altered. I, I like to tell my oldest child that he remodeled my body and uh, it's, it's never going back. And that's okay, you know, because I, I think of my life without these children would have been much more shallow and less, less filled with meaning. And so for me, that's how I have questioned those messages that a perfect body is more important than the process I went through. It's also interesting that I think a lot of women, as they see their new body and as it, you know, regains its shape, and their new role as a mother, 
they have a really hard time understanding how to align those two new roles, or at least the new role of mother and the old role of being a sexual person, that they don't see themselves as both of those things, a mother and a sexual being. And so they have to do a little internal questioning again to understand that this new body that I have is still sexual and I am a mother and those two align perfectly and beautifully. And I think like Amber said, I think our husbands have a a less difficult time adjusting to that new role, to changed bodies and to aligning um, sexuality and parenthood. Uh, And yet it's such a beautiful culmination of sex, becoming a parent. And hopefully it's something that we can learn to appreciate and uh, be kind to ourselves and say, wow, look what my body just did. We created a whole new being. And that is fantastic. That's it for this week. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sexual Mindfulness Project. And subscribe to our website, shalomlevitt.com, to stay up to date with the latest information on sexual mindfulness. Thanks for listening.